glory this morning. Speak to us now through your word, we pray. All these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we just came, just came from East Campus, and things are going well out there, and had a great crowd, a great, uh, great service, and uh, God's really moving, doing great things there as he is here. I want us to turn to Proverbs chapter 22, and as we turn there, we're finishing up our series of messages on um, handing down your faith. And as we're um, looking at this passage of Scripture, we're going to be looking at this one verse, and then we're going to be looking at another couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 6 as we look at this, right? Um, it says here, training up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We are certainly living in a day where it's difficult to hand down our faith in the next generation. People are concerned. People are concerned about the safety of children. You know, why is it when I, when I was growing up, we had, uh, at the university where I uh, attended, we did have a few suicides while I was there, just a few, one or two, three, maybe three at the, at the outside over a long stretch period of time. Now, we're not only having suicide among young people, but also they're taking other people's lives before they shoot themselves. We are in a world of turmoil, a world that's upside down where it seems like the good things are considered bad, the bad things are considered good. We're blaming it on everything in the world, but we're not asking ourselves the question, why is it different today than it was before? And parents, I'll speak for the parents for just a moment, you're, you're confused yourself. I, I remember my whole generation raised our children based upon a lot of the books that we were reading. Not only the book called the Bible, but you know, the Bible has a lot to say about raising your children, but then you look at the Christian psychologists of our day, Christian pastors of our day, and they think, hey, you know, they're, they're taking the Bible and they're elaborating on it, they're, they're interpreting it for us, and we did the best we could based on that, it just didn't seem to work out for us. And so what do we do? What are we missing? Where do we go? And so we've been in this series of messages on handing down your faith, began with spiritual leadership in the home, looked at the marriage, looked at raising our children and, and changing their heart rather than just their behavior. And so today we want to look at some practical stuff. And as we open up the Bible to this passage, we ask ourselves the question, what in the world does this verse mean? So pastor, right there, I feel like that maybe the Bible is wrong right here. Here's an evidence that the Bible is not the Word of God. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Isn't that a promise from God? I've seen so many parents raise up their children in the way it looked like they should go, and it didn't work out for them. Well, let me just say this. This is not, well, let me put it this way. There's different types of literature in the Bible, just like there's different types of literature in the world. Uh, for example, um, in, uh, in the book of Psalms, though that's poetry. You interpret poetry in that light of the fact that it's poetry. This is wisdom literature that you'll find in Proverbs. It's a cause and effect. It's wisdom. You do these things, this is going to pretty much going to be a result of that. You look in the New Testament, the book of Acts is a great example of an historical book. It's descriptive of something. But it doesn't mean that it's going to happen like that every time. For example, 
when Peter and John went before the temple, and he found there a man that's handicapped, and he was begging for money. And he said, Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee, stand up and walk. And the man stood up and walked. Did that happen? Yes, it did. I believe that it happened. But does that mean that I can go or you can go to any church or any temple or a synagogue and look and see a man being, uh, you know, handicapped, and he, if he just happens to be begging for money, you can say, silver and gold have I none, such as I have I given to thee, stand up and walk. And he's going to walk? Somebody tell me. No. Because why? In the book of Acts, you'll find a descriptive passage. Now, if you're looking for a healing passage, you'll find it in James chapter 5. It's called a prescriptive passage, like a prescription, all right? Prescriptive. And it, it says, look, if any of you are sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and pray over them, and the prayer uh, of a righteous man avails much. The fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or accomplishes a lot of things. And so we find that this is wisdom literature, and wisdom literature is a cause and effect. It's not a promise, never meant to be a promise. It's meant to be a cause and effect. For example, one of the Proverbs says that the ringing of the nose brings forth blood. Now, do you believe that happens? Well, let's just try that. Turn to your neighbor and take their nose. No, I'm just kidding. You know, instead of shaking hands today and bumping fists, let's wring one another's nose. Chances are, if we turn around and say, yeah, I'm going to take your nose, and you begin to wring it real tight, chances are it's going to bleed. But you know, some people don't have a, as good a grip as others, and some people have a very sturdy nose, perhaps, and it just really hurt bad. It didn't bleed. But a cause and effect, if you wring the nose, it's going to bring forth blood. And so this passage is telling us, and I'm not trying to discourage anyone, this passage is telling us, you do this, this is going to happen. Does it happen? Is it a promise? No, it's not a promise, but it's a cause and effect. For example, you can lead a horse to the trough, but you can't make him drink. And so the question then comes up, how do you make the horse drink? You, you put salt, you give him salt. And almost every time, unless the horse is sick or something, you give them salt, and you take them to the trough full of water, they're going to drink. So the question is, how do we train up our children in such a way that they're going to be thirsty for God? And when they're old, they will not depart from it. So we're going to look at, see what this verse means, and we're going to be asking ourselves a, a few things. First of all, how, how do our children need to really feel? Then what do we need to teach as parents, and then what are the desired results? Let's look at it. First of all, how does a child need to feel? Look with me in Proverbs 22 again and verse 6. Train up. Now, whatever that verse means, whatever this word means, train, it means to do it up. There, there's something of a change, and it's growing something. It's building something. So you're training them to build them up in some way. Now, this word train, originally written, Proverbs originally written in Old Testament in Hebrew, and so there are four different times that this word train, the Hebrew word for train is used in the Old Testament to mean four different things, all kind of related and all pertain to this one verse. One, it means, first of all, to develop a thirst. The original meaning of this, if you're going to draw a Hebrew picture of what was going on, uh, this gives the picture of a mother taking dates and mashing them into a little jar and then pulling the juice out, putting inside a newborn baby's mouth to get the sucking going so she could nurse the baby. And so it's to create a thirst 
and the heart of an individual. That's how you train them up. Secondly, it means to dedicate. In Psalm 127, it says, children are like arrows in, in the hand of a warrior. What do you do? It, it has the word to dedicate. You dedicate that arrow to a certain way, to a certain goal, to a certain aim, and this would be toward Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it means to discipline. And it, it's used, this word train, is used for a bit inside of a horse's mouth to train them, but also, fourthly, to direct them, to direct them in the direction they need to go, and you do that through teaching. And so as we look at this, it says train up. Now, how do you do that? Well, you've got to do it close. You've got to be close. And so really what your children need is two things. How do they need to feel? They need to feel hope, and they need to feel acceptance by you. They need to feel hope. We, we talked about the three stools last week in the first chair, and, uh, and that's how the, uh, uh, Joshua knew the Lord. He knew everything about the Lord. He was in love with Jesus, in love with the Lord, rather. And the second generation, the elders came along, and they knew about God and about the things of God, but they were kind of lukewarm. You know, Revelation would say that they were lukewarm, just kind of in the middle, compromising. And then you had the generation that grew up, the very first generation to ever be born in the land, in the promised land of Canaan, and they grew up without God. I mean, they couldn't even pass it down to the next generation themselves, even though that was the big commandment that God gave them. How do you give them hope? Well, we said this person here in this first chair is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This, this person is dedicated to the Lord. This person takes the word of God and applies it to their life. Their children see that. And so therefore, boy, once they see that, that's all it takes, right? That's all it takes. No, Bruce Wilkinson in one of his books <coughs> would say that most first chair believers raise second chair believers and most second chair raise third chair. Why in the world is that true? Because the missing ingredient, something that I wish I would have known back when I was raising my, my own children, would be this. A child may look at you in the first chair, and they may admire you for that. They may respect you for that, but they're asking themselves the question, so what? Now, not in a bad way, but just so what? Okay, you're following the Lord. You're going to church. You, you seem to be dedicated. to Man, every time the church doors open, you're there. You read the Bible every day, and it seems to be getting you through life. You seem to be handling problems okay, but do they see any joy there? Do they see that you are enjoying it? See, they're asking themselves the question as they're growing up very early in life, what's going to make me happy? And as they get older, not only what is going to make me happy, but also what is going to fulfill my life. And here we are, as I've said, sitting in that first chair thinking, hey, I'm dedicated. I'm, I'm tenacious, I'm going to get through this trial, but maybe all the time we're critical of this, we're critical of that, you know, whatever the church is doing, whatever the government's doing, whatever's going on at work, we bring it home with us, and it just seems to be, hey, you know, you have problems just like I do. You're, you're dedicated to the Lord, and it seems to be kind of working for you, but I think I've got something else that might be working for me. Instead of showing them, wow, I'm enjoying this, where it's haunting them to say, look, I'm going my own way. I'm doing my own thing. I feel like the prodigal out there, the lost son in the Bible. But hey, my parent, my grandparent, whoever it is, man, they got joy in their life. This seems to be working for them. It gives them hope. And it also, not only need hope, but acceptance as well. Now, we raised our children up on this whole self-esteem thing. We did. You know, hey, you got to believe in yourself. 
You know, you can do anything, anything that you, you set your mind to do. Just believe in yourself and all things are possible. You know, like, you know, it's a Disney miracle, you know. And um, they get out in real life and they realize, wow, you know, the people, the kids at school don't feel toward them like the parents do. They're having trouble in math now. So the teacher's kind of mean to them, toward them. And they look out in life, and they get older in life, and they, and they realize that life in general does not accept them. And so for us to do that to our children, to not, to not let them know, hey, yeah, you've got to believe in yourself and let me believe in you. But it, listen very carefully. It's more important for you as a parent, by the way, to believe in them than it is for them to believe in themselves. But we want to have confidence, so it can't be swung too far the other way. But at the same time, they got to know that there's limitations out there. Now, how do you get over those limitations? How, what, what happens when they get to the point of saying, I can't do anything? I just I feel like I'm ready to give up. I just can't do anything. What happens then? Well, the typical parent would be saying, well, let me go buy you a car. Or let me go buy you a new computer. Let me cheer you up in some way. No, you come to them as a parent and say, wow, you're exactly the place where you need to be. Because when you're at that place, that's when you know you need God. You need Jesus. But they need to believe. If you want them on your team, they got to believe you want them on your team. They have to have hope, and they need acceptance from you. Secondly, what's a parent to do? Well, notice it again. It says, there's a personal involvement here. It says, train up, develop the thirst, dedicate to Christ, discipline, direct. Let's look at the word, whole thing about discipline. We've looked at the behavior part that we've said that the, the problem that we're facing in our society today when only 6%, and I know this is a statistic that you know, could be debated, but I've read that about 6% of our high school students who are involved in church go on to be involved in church and college. One of my pastor friends said that uh, not too long ago, his son's gone off to college. He said, Dad, uh, I still believe in God, but I'm just going to take a hiatus from all this Christianity for a while. You know, what's going on? What's happening with them? And so there needs to be something of the heart. We can't just be nailing fake apples to a tree, but there also has to be some discipline toward behavior. Because as we teach them a certain behavior that they need to have, it gets ingrained into them. Now, we have to take the behavior to the next step to the heart, but it's still a matter of also behavior modification, some. So what do you do? you got to teach them, but you got to discipline them. Ephesians 6 says this. Let me just turn over, uh, with, you turn over with me if you'd like. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 at the end of this passage where it's talking about the family, we've already talked about Ephesians 5. At the end of this, it says in Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What are the two things that fathers and really parents, period, ought to do? They ought to discipline them and instruct them. We've already said that the major job of every parent is to be a teacher. But what about the discipline? The discipline and instruction 
of the Lord. It says don't provoke them. How do you provoke them to anger? Well, you provoke them to anger basically by, quote, unquote, can I say it this way, getting on to them without any discipline. You know, you say, well, you know, I, I told you that if you didn't do that, the, the whole family was going to stay home from the beach today. Well, he knows you're not going to do that. Man, you've got three other kids whining to go to the beach. So what do you do? You scold them. You scold them. No discipline. You yell at them. That provokes them to anger. A lack of discipline, a lack of teaching, and wonder, wondering what, why is this going on? Why am I even being punished? It's exasperating, as the original Greek word says. So what do you do? You discipline them. This is extremely uh, uh, biblical. Proverbs 13 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 19, 18. And by the way, this is all through Proverbs. It says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Why would that happen? You, you bring up a situation where you don't discipline. They don't realize that when they do something wrong at home, there's pain involved, some kind of pain. So when they get out in the world, they think the world's going to treat them like mom and dad treated them. And there, there's no consequences at all to their actions. And they go, go down, begin to go down the ways of death. And they cannot understand why they got put in jail. They can't understand why they got the, the traffic ticket or the parking ticket. Or they can't understand why in the world teachers would treat them that way. Why students would not uh, involve them in everything. And by the way, if we want to, to help uh, the people out there and, and, and curb the shootings a little bit, you might just simply do this as a student, is just go up to somebody that is uh, dejected, rejected, and has no friends, and make a friend. It'll go a long way. Acceptance. Getting back to this. Discipline. Permissiveness. We discipline our children today so they can discipline themselves tomorrow. Did you hear that? We discipline our children today. We put boundaries in their life today. We discipline them to do the things they ought to do at home. We discipline them on what they need to do, what they don't need to do. We discipline them on right and wrong and even punishment involved in that, consequences involved in that. And so when they are an adult, they can discipline themselves. How do you, do, how do you go about doing that? Well, first of all, and I hate to drop this little bomb on you here, okay, because this is a tough one, a tough one. I said weeks ago, and another message that had nothing to do with raising children. I said, if you have to be liked, you can't lead. Well, listen, if you, as a parent, if you have to be loved, you can't lead. You can't discipline. In fact, I want to say pretty much, and this is an exaggerated statement, I know, but I want to make it exaggerated. You're no good to your kids if you have to be loved. They will manipulate you, and why not? They want power just like you want power. They want their way just like you want your way. You're no, they're no different from us. They're just a level of maturity maybe, but that's all. They're going to give you the silent treatment. They're going to give you arguments. They're going to go to one parent, another parent, use one parent against the other parent, anything they have to do. And you say, oh, I just long for those words. Thank you, Mommy. Thank you, Daddy. You're the greatest daddy in the world. I long for those words. You're no good to your kids. 
because you cannot raise them up. You, you just know if you have to be loved. You say, well, is that true among grandparents? Absolutely not. It's totally different. <laughs> totally different. And you think I'm kidding. And I am, so I have to think of something real quick. No, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, that's, that's a lot of truth to that. I'll tell you why. Grandparenting is a privilege. Grandparenting is a great and wonderful thing. Parenting is a privilege. Parenting is an honor, it's a wonderful thing. But parenting is a task. Parenting is a job. Grandparenting is, is, is just great. <laughs> it's great. But it's different because now if as a grandparent, if I had to somehow adopt my own grandchildren as my children, my, ta my, my relationship would totally change. Because my job is to raise them up in the Lord to be responsible adults following Jesus. That's the task. So if you have to be loved, you're, you're just not going to do your, your children any good. But discipline. Begin early. Nothing wrong with your, the first words out of your mouth, uh, your baby's mouth is no. They, they know something there. You correct, listen very carefully, for defiance and disobedience, not for mistakes. You've seen parents before. Maybe you've done it. You know, your child kind of accidentally spills something, kind of throws something in the floor. Just They don't know any better. What do you do? You yell and scream at them. How, I mean, I can't believe it. You broke the glass. Oh, you're all so irritated. You're just coming apart. Just a mistake. You discipline for defiance and disobedience. Then, thirdly, or secondly, you make the rules clear. Make them clear. Uh, Charles Stanley, the, the famed pastor of First Baptist Church of Atlanta, tells a story about Andy Stanley, who is now uh, probably pastoring maybe the largest church, at least in the southeast, if not in, uh, in America. And when Andy was a little boy, his, uh, his mom told Andy to go clean out the flower garden. Well, at first he didn't do it, but then he was told very sternly. And so he goes outside and begins to clean out the flower garden, very proud of himself at this point. He walks in, tells his mom, he says, Mom, I've cleaned out the flower garden. You want to see it? And she says, Yes, I do. And she goes out there, and sure enough, it is clean. And yeah, you've guessed it. Not only no weeds, but there are no flowers in there anymore either. Uh, he cleaned out nothing but the mulch. She did not make things clear. Fourthly, you've got to have some consequences. You, you've got to have consequences for not doing what they need to do. Put it this way, and I put it very delicately. They need to know there's pain involved when they don't obey. They get out in life. And they're going to understand that when they do something wrong, pain of some type is involved. Discomfort is involved. If they don't learn it from the, when they're young, they learn it when they're young, it's just in their mind. It's just an automatic thing. They don't even think about, boy, if I do this, I, there's consequences. If I do, oh, I, I can't do that. They're even scared about it a little bit. They even feel like, oh, man, it must be legalism or something, because something in their conscience is telling them, don't do it. 
Well, man, if they, they never felt any pain, they just keep on doing what they're doing, and they can't understand why people don't cooperate with them. So, there's consequences. Then, there's got to be a follow-through, some consistency. I asked uh, one gentleman, member of the church, still is a member of the church. Um, <clears throat> we, we first got here. We had, our children were nine, seven, and three. And um, his, <clears throat> his three were already grown. And all doing really, really well. And so I said, okay, tell me, you know, what's the difference? What, 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 what happened? He said, well, I've been asked that before. The only thing I can think of is that we were consistent. Consistency. You know, here, you've seen it before. I know I have. Many, many times, but this one particular time, uh, visiting somebody years ago, and they, they told their child, I think, to go to bed. And uh, they told him again, well, we're going to give you, I don't know what it was, gold star or whatever it was, piece of candy, whatever. whatever. There's going to give a reward to the child if he did what he was supposed to do, all right? Which I, I don't know if rewarding, re- rewarding for doing what you're supposed to do or not is a good idea or not, really. But anyway, they were going to do that. Okay. Thirteen times later, he still hadn't gone. And every time they said, now, if you don't do this, you're not going to get this. If you don't do this, you're not going to. Thirteen times. Finally, he did it, and he got what he wanted. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that the kid was laughing at him the whole time. He was smiling. Oh, yeah? Don't make me come up there. No, I want you to come up here. I want to see what you're going to do. You know, <laughs> bring some water while you're coming, you know. You know, <clears throat> go to your room. Yeah, with all the, let's see, I got a phone in my room. I got a computer in my room, uh, Xbox. I got all this. So he didn't do anything, nothing. Now, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. I'm just saying what we did. Basically, you tell them, you make it clear. And usually, I, I told my kids twice, usually, some, especially going to bed, they just didn't want to go. So go to bed. They acted like that. Sometimes they'd act like they ignored me. Okay. And then you tell them again. Now, I've already told you once. Are you listening? You need to go to bed. And whether it was me or my wife, same thing. Well, sometimes they wouldn't go. So what did you do? We just started counting. Now, I'm not saying that's the way, way to go. But I'd go one, and immediately. You know what happened when I said One. There was a pitter-patter of running feet right up the stairs. Why? Well, they knew I got to three. They were in trouble. How did they know they were in trouble? Because I had followed through before. And it only takes a couple of times. That's all it takes. A couple of times, they know you mean business. They know their boundaries now, which, by the way, makes them feel safer when they know what their boundaries are. So they know what their boundaries are, they know what they need to do, and they would do it. Make it clear, be consistent. And then finally, don't do it in anger. If you do it in anger, you've wasted your time. In fact, it's worse, because all you've done is punish your kids because you're angry, not because they've done anything wrong. And so it actually works against you, works in reverse. Discipline. The Bible says, set boundaries for your children. Even God does that. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines those that he loves. He disciplines us. 
when we go out of line, when we get out of the boundaries. Then, he says, in these verses, he says, to discipline them in instruction in the Lord. Very quickly, what we've said, you teach them who to love. What do you teach them? Who to love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 6, 4 and 5. That you answer the so what? You create a thirst in their life by teaching them who they need to love by not only following the Lord of Je- Lordship of Jesus Christ, but enjoying it. Show them the so what. Secondly, you teach them what to believe. Why wouldn't you do that? Oh, I'm just going to let them believe whatever they want to believe. If you don't teach them the values of the Word of God, if you don't teach them the Word of God, they're going to learn their values and pick them up like germs off the street. The Bible is the Word of God. It's profitable for teaching, for instruction, for, in fact, the Bible says they're God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16. They're breathed of God. You teach them what they need to know as they go through life. You teach them who to trust. Now, who they love, that is going to make a difference on so many decisions in life. But who they trust, hey, you can't love anybody you don't trust. Trusting God. Trusting Him that they are better off following God than going their own way. A reverence for God. A fear of the Lord. Listen, if you fear God, you're going to avoid sin in your life. You're going to obey him. You're going to avoid immorality and bitterness and avoid hurting others. What do we mean by that? Well, the Bible says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your son's son, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments. He says, look, if you fear the Lord, you're going to obey him. That's what he's saying. Some of you have been on that ride at maybe um, Disney World. Uh, I think it's Epcot. Soarin'. Anybody been on that ride before? Soarin'. Last time we were on there, I had a little boy sitting around here, around his, I think his mom or dad was sitting here, and then he was sitting over there, he was scared. His dad was trying to say, hey, it's going to be all right, it's going to be okay. And it really is a tame ride, but it doesn't feel like a tame ride. I mean, you're going, basically, you're, you're right in front of this huge screen, and it's going all across the world, and it's showing you different things. You're going over the, the icebergs, and you're, you're seeing the, 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 the polar bears. And finally, you come to a place where you see these whales, and the, Two whales just jump up in the middle air and splash down in the water, and you're surprised when you don't feel any water. Well, man, I tell you what, if I were in that ocean with those whales, I would be scared to death. You say, well, I don't think they'll, it's like a shark. I mean, they may not hurt you at all. Well, they may not, but they're big. They're awesome. They're just awesome. We fear the Lord because we realize how awesome he is. Is he going to hurt you? Well, no, but he could, and he's so big. And a person that fears the Lord is not going to curse God. A person who fears the Lord is not going to question God. A person who reverences the Lord is not going to be critical of God. I mean, if you can, it's like you work in the mailroom at your corporation, Young person works in the mailroom. He comes up to the executive offices and delivers the mail. And he just, for the first time, he sees the CEO of the whole company. He's not even on that, he's not even in this location. I mean, this, this company is all over the world, for crying out loud. It's huge. You, you don't even know how many billions of dollars it has. 
and you're in the mail room and you look up to the CEO, I'm, you know, I'm glad I finally ran into you. I'm wondering, do you even know what you're doing? A person that has a reverence for that guy's position and has any sense about him at all is not going to ask that question. If we have the fear of the Lord in us, it, we're not going to be like Job where God had to go to Job and say, oh, Job, by the way, where were you when I formed the world? There's going to be an awesomeness of God teaching them to fear the Lord. And finally, you teach them about salvation. My mom, before she passed away, often said, it would just be the worst thing in the world if I could ever raise a child, bring a child into this world that didn't know the Lord, wasn't saved. Which brings me to the end result. It says, in the way he should go when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, it's not a promise. It's a cause and effect. If you raise up a child, not, not according to the way, you know, people say, oh, that's according to his bent. Some swear in the Hebrew, it's according to his bent. In other words, if he's bent toward sports, raise him that way. If he's bent toward uh, music, raise him that way. If she's built toward uh, academics and science, <clears throat> raise him that way. Doesn't mean that at all. It's a contrast in Proverbs between the person who follows God and the fool. I mean, that's, that's biblical language. The fool is somebody who doesn't follow God. That's how the book of Proverbs looks at it. You raise up a child to follow God, <clears throat> to follow Christ. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Why? Because you developed a thirst in their life, and they're going to want to come back and be a part of what you're about. Not a promise, a cause and effect. But as Abe Lincoln all often said, <clears throat> in order to raise up a child in the way he should go, you've got to go that way yourself. And that's often the problem, isn't it? We really do want to raise our children, right? We do want them to be successful. You bring them to church because you want them um, to have morals in their life. But sometimes, I'm afraid, we want to raise our children without it a sacrificing our own freedom to do what we want to do or our morals, standard in which we're living by, our lifestyle. We don't want to sacrifice that, so we sort of sit in the middle, kind of nimble to go either way. And they look at that and they think, hmm, that must not be the answer. So what about you? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he? Wow, he needs to be. Not only will he direct you, not only will he put boundaries in your life in the right way, not only will he help you and give you wisdom, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, that's long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, humility, self-control. When they see those kind of things coming out from your life, It'll make them thirsty as though you're just pouring spiritual salt right in their mouth. So what about us today? It all begins with trusting Christ as your Savior. But right now, we're going to have an invitation in just a moment. Last one of this series. And some of you need to come forward and say, God, I've been sitting in the first chair, Lordship of Christ. I've, been, I've really been sincere in my faith. But boy, I'm not sure it's really 
showing out in joy and peace in my life. Give me that. Give me the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Others need to come and say, I just need to pray for my offspring, for my children. They're already grown or they're in their teenage years and they need, they need wisdom, they need help. Some maybe young people need to say, hey, look, um, it's not just up to my parents. It's up to me. I'm coming. God, would you give me that joy and even start now in my life? But if you've never received Christ, I want to pray, pray with you right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. This morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you've never made that decision in your own heart, I want to encourage you right now to pray this prayer with me. And you can pray it silently. I'll pray it out loud. If you mean the prayer, the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you mean the prayer, Jesus, I believe, will come in to save you today. Pray with me now. Lord God, I know that I'm not perfect. And life has so many responsibilities. There's so much need for wisdom. And I need that wisdom from you. I need forgiveness from you. And I need direction from you. And so I confess my own sin of being the boss of my own life. And I turn my heart and life over to you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me the person, the family member, as well as I need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. You've heard the invitation. The altar is open. If you prayed that prayer with me to receive Christ, you come as well. Take one of these pastors by the hand and just say, I prayed that prayer with the pastor. We're going to sing right now. Last, last sermon in this series. Okay, you respond to God from this morning, from maybe